0: Hey, what's up, BTC fam? It's your pleb next door, Saint Bitcoin. Welcome to Pleb Talk Podcast, where Bitcoiners worldwide will get their voices heard, stories shared, and take us on their very own journeys. This is Episode 6, Freedom, Faith, and Bitcoin with Black Bull. Black Bull in the house. What's up, man? Hey, what's
1: up, man? How's it going?
0: I'm doing very great, man. I'm doing awesome. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. Another good day, you know. So, uh, family, God, stacking sats. I mean, what else you need?
0: Hey, man. Bible bullets and BTC.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you.
0: No, man. So you told me that uh, this is actually like your first podcast, your first episode that uh, you've ever done with someone. So I'm very honored that uh, uh, I got to do it with you.
1: Yeah, man. New to me. So uh, just looking forward to have a good combo and. Hopefully now, some people can connect and resonate with it.
0: Now, definitely. Uh, we got to talk a little bit before this, and, and uh, I know you have some very good opinions on things and some very good insight. But uh, while we were talking, you kind of told me a little bit of your story, um, how you got into your uh, your own business, Black Bull, um, yeah. how you got into Bitcoin, a little bit of your faith and like how all this like ties together into uh, an awesome story. So however you can explain that the best, I think it would be really good for everybody to hear it.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to understand someone's background, right? Because it kind of helps understand where someone's perspective is coming from. Uh, everyone has a unique background. Mine, you know, I, I grew up and I, I was fortunate to have a, uh, a unique public education that most are not privy to, where um, I had an honors high school where debate and questioning things was not just encouraged it was demanded. I mean we would we had we had one class where they would put us all around a table and uh, the teacher would just basically make us debate each other wow. and we would be reading things philosophy my the one that really started off for me was Plato's Republic. Mm. You know, as a high schooler you don't really you can't really understand a lot of what that book is about but what you can get is the process of questioning everything.
0: So right. this stuff was already starting to, uh, uh, you're already building a foundation at a young age.
1: Exactly. It, it frames you, right? You come from this frame perspective of, hey, question everything, find your own truth. Truth to you is adapting as you gather more information and data. And that's the process of what I would say the best way to, to think is you have to be willing to change, accept new data, vet, and always vet new data. Mm. But that's how you always ensure yourself of the best chance to have a good perspective on something. You know so that that book, The Players Republic, had a big impact on me. And uh, another thing is I was fortunate to grow up and I got to travel a lot because my parents, you know we they had the money, we, we we were able to go to Europe and and then later in life, I was able to go to South America, Canada, Mexico, all over the place,
0: Europe oh, so
1: you- times.
0: So you've basically gotten to see the whole world.
1: A lot of it. I haven't seen Asia, which I really want to see. I would really like to go. Yeah. And Africa, too. I want to see Africa very badly. Um, I, mean, I want to see everywhere. <laughs> you know, my wife loves to travel, too. We're just super busy. But we will be continuing that passion of ours eventually.
0: Hey, but man, Bitcoin that, fixes this.
1: That's right. It does fix this, right? <laughs> and, you know, traveling's so important. I studied abroad, too. I studied abroad in undergrad. And I studied abroad in law school, too. Uh, You know, for a portion of your study, you can study abroad. And so both of those were very beneficial because you're introduced to um, the academia aspect of other countries. So that was very important to me. And just undergrad, basic undergrad, um, and then law school and uh, the law school education, as we were talking about, was very uh, impactful for me. Um, it, It is... A very different type of education, where instead of memorizing and applying descriptive text, you you have to dive into case material and basically facts um, as they're represented, and then you have to discover what the truth is to you, and then you have to represent certain truths that may be lesser truths at certain times, and it, and you're you're tested in front of your peers every day. You have to. To feel like you know the truth of a case and multiple cases, and you can be called on spot and you can be grilled in front of everybody, and and that kind of intellectual boot camp really helped develop me. I mean, we all have this, you know. It's just, it's just that for me was very beneficial. Yeah, um, yeah. Because like I told you, I don't practice law; I'm an investor and I, I mm. sports bet for a living. But. Um, That just kind of started off, as I was telling you, in law school, I was fortunate to go to a good law school that was one of the first to start to offer courses in algorithmic law and basically quantitative analysis and um, building models to predict legal outcomes, which transitions well to sports betting because you're dealing with variables that are very difficult. They're very difficult to quantify and things that are very difficult to predict and they're very similar so that process was just kind of it was a natural growth from the modeling law and legal outcomes to modeling sports events which i love sports <laughs> nice, have all my nice. life. um and it's just uh you know i always tell people i say well, do you love it and you know when you do it this long a lot of people i'm sure can relate you may lose the the passion but it's like well but it's the best way I've found to stay free and to provide for yourself and those you love. So, well, well
0: yeah. and, and what I like about uh, you telling us your journey so far is that when you were in, uh, probably when you were just getting into uh, law school, learning about uh, this legal education, you know, you didn't know that down the road, it was going to lead you to uh, the career you have now. So like, it's cool to see this progression of uh, the story you're telling us.
1: Yeah, you know, it just kind of naturally happens, and uh, it just, that's kind of, you know, I came home from law school, and, you know, I was expected to take the bar, become a lawyer, but I was always working on my models, Yeah, my nice. market tech, as yes. I call it. Yes, sports, you know, and
0: yeah, you were, you were working on your dreams after you got your responsibilities done.
1: I was, you know, and, and I told you that one of the most impactful things to me in my life, which really changed me, and Other people who I've met who've had similar type of experiences was the health situation I got into because I was too, how do you put it? I was a little too consumed by my models for a bit. Okay, okay. I came home and I just, you know, I I was talking to you about the journey. You know, the important spiritual journey was that I was, I came home from academia and and we were talking about how in upper academia. They try to mold you instead of let you just naturally grow.
0: True, true, very um, true.
1: That applies to the legal education where now, even though the legal education, I love the process and I think it really helps you develop mentally. The problem is, is that they teach you incorrect things. Mm. You know, first, like the Constitution. Now they, they're they trying to spur, I say they as in the powers to be or whatever. We always use that they, of right? Of course, but, of course. But it's like they want— you to think that judicial activism is the natural state of things and in, in, in alignment with the Constitution, and it's not. Mm. They, they, they teach you uh, that the Constitution has different manners of interpretation, and you choose the one as a judge that you see fit. And if you're if you're an attorney and you're advocating for a position in front of a certain judge, you have to know their manner of interpretation. And it's all BS because okay. the facts are. If I dove into the Constitution in law school, I just loved it. I thought it it, was—it has failed in our society right now, but it was the best attempt at that point to try to limit authority and power and restrictions on freedom. But when you look at what the founding fathers intended, their official discourse and their unofficial discourse between each other, they intended for original intent to be the only valid interpretation of the Constitution. Mm. And it makes sense because, you know, they're always trying to make the argument where, well, original intent adapts. No, the intent doesn't adapt. The The modern circumstances and situation and environments adapt, and then you, the application adapts. But the intent is the same, right? And we'll talk about that later with firearms.
0: I was going to say that would go along with firearms. Uh, going back to faith, that would also go along uh, with the Bible too, you know? It's the same thing. The same kind of people— are the same people trying to change uh, the the interpretations on everything we hold to us, you know?
1: Right. And so if you understand that that's the case, the only way way to get around that is you have to create these other manners of interpretation, which allow for judicial activists to do as they see fit and and change. It. I mean, that's the only thing because it's like this is it. This is how it was intended to be interpreted. it It does adapt. The application of it adapts. Um, but the only way to get around those constraints is you say, well, you know, it's a living and breathing document, you know, we can, you know, we can change the intense different now. Right. And, and that of course doesn't make any sense. It's complete BS, but, uh, I don't know of how course. we got out of that, but no, uh, no,
0: no, 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 no. That was great, man. That was awesome. Yeah. I love hearing <laughs> your opinions on things. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was you've had this, uh, journey so far in life. To academia through your career, and uh, a little bit of what I want to talk about is your Christian faith and how did that play a role in it? And how does do you see your faith, the ideals, the beliefs that you have? Do you see that like flowing over into your studies, into Bitcoin, into your investing, into your business? Do you see that all flowing together in your life?
1: Yeah, you know, of course, you know, it flows in everything I am, you know, everything I do. Uh, are those principles, because to me, the only authority I recognize is God. That's it. You know, man-made uh, structures and centralized structures, you know, we play nice with them. You know, as Jefferson talked about, he so, said, you know, you put up as much restrictions on your liberty as you can to maintain peace and order, and you know, we do that, obviously, we, we do that because we don't agree with a lot of what the government does and laws, but we put up with as much as we can put up with. But I don't recognize that authority. That's just trying to preserve peace Mm. between entities that I don't respect. You know, the only authority over me is God and and natural rights. And, you know, it's interesting because people, they get their perspective is from, you you know, it's hard to understand how it came to be where democracy is seen. It's seen as this big positive, but democracy Is just trading one dictator for 100, 200 million. I I mean, nobody should be able to trample upon anyone's natural rights. I don't care if you have a country, let's just make it simple, of 100 people and 99 people think this person shouldn't be able to do that. As long as that person's not harming anybody in an active, violent or aggressive way substantially, that person, he should be able to do what he wants to do. It doesn't Agreed. matter. What people think, it's
0: that's right? his that's his personal right and his liberty to exactly. live his life. And uh,
1: democracy. Um, that's a strong, you know, democracy yeah. majority. It's ninety nine percent, right?
0: So, so one of the things in my faith that I wanted to share with you that I guess I've taken with me the most in my investing in my uh, delving into Bitcoin would actually just be simple conviction. I felt like. Through my faith over the last couple of years since I've been a Christian, I have developed a level of conviction and, and trust and lifestyle in a certain thing. And spilling that over into Bitcoin, I feel like I'm taking those same kind of ideals and beliefs with me, you know?
1: Oh, I agree. It's, it's discipline, right? And discipline and the conviction of what you believe in. Uh, people, in my perspective, rightfully believe in this Bitcoin thing, we call it. Um, they believe strongly have a lot of conviction and I believe that, you know, as God flows into Bitcoin, Bitcoin also flows into aspects of other people's lives. It's like this transitive state, right? You have this discipline from God for you and me, which flows into our discipline and conviction in Bitcoin. And then I've seen, uh, we, we see all every day Bitcoin also has that effect on people too, that, that conviction, that belief it it goes into hmm, other yeah, areas, you know, yeah. in a positive way. You see it transform people, you know. And then I, I didn't want to. I was. I just remember the point we because I didn't want to leave this open ended for people listening was when I was talking about being consumed about my models.
0: Which okay, was
1: bad, which was a bad thing. Yeah, I just want to clarify it was a bad okay, thing. Okay. Um, I got out of academia. I was affected by a lot of the uh, the the pseudoscience they teach you, right? Now, I actually hmm. was atheist a little bit. I grew up um, in the Protestant faith. And then as, you know, it, it's we have to take accountability. Like I got fooled, right? I became atheist in my perspective. Okay. And um, I was consumed by my models at that time. And I was basically getting up every day. I, w- I Basically, my day would be, I would get up at 10 a.m. I would work all day. I would uh, work out. Work till 5 a.m. and then get up the next day and continue working on my models. You know, and you could see Mm -hmm. that that's a disaster waiting to happen.
0: It's just a shifting in priorities, man. And I don't think um, as a Christian to another Christian, I I don't think you should sell yourself short and uh, call yourself an atheist the word says, you know, who the sun sets free is free indeed. You're already free. And, you know, maybe you had some some bad experiences in your path along the way, but, you know, that didn't define who you were, you know?
1: Right. Well, I lost my way. You could put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, we all uh, do. We all do, right? We all do. We, we all do. And what brought me back was actually one of the worst things in my life where I, I got sick. Um, okay. And, it was, and, you know, the doctors don't know. They didn't know. They kept telling me, I wish I could help you. I don't know what's wrong with you. But basically, one day I woke up and I was dizzy. I, I opened my laptop to start working. I was dizzy. And then my symptoms spiraled out of control to the point where I was in and out blurry vision, constant uh, dizziness and tension everywhere, seeing doctors, getting spinal taps, you know, whatever. Wow. And uh, it was terrible. Like, I was just non-functional. Trying to work on my models still. Yeah. And in the, yeah hospital, the The models, they're, they're the they're models. The bathtub, you know, <laughs> and uh, the, the mom being, you can't even see your screen. You know, <laughs> like, what are you doing? And yeah. I had to learn how wrong that was and that. And this is an important point I wanted to make was that, um, you know, the strength that you are, like a lot of Bitcoiners, they're very strong people.
0: I agree. Uh, very,
1: yes. Yes, I agree. But the body is a difference in strength. For instance, like you have this spiritual strength, whatever you want to call it, you and I call it spiritual strength, okay. which is way stronger than what your body strength is. And I had to learn that was that there was no way my body could keep up with the spiritual strength and endurance I had that I was applying to this endeavor mm. in these models. It, it just it, it was going to break. My body was going to break. It couldn't do that. Yeah. Right. And so I had to take it upon myself to start eating better, to start getting better sleep um, and, and all these types of things. I mean, I put at the t- now we're all learning about meat and the benefits of meat and I'm becoming very meat heavy myself. But at the time, Beautiful. yeah, it's 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 becoming very uh, evident now. But at the time, I didn't know. And so fruit was the big thing and the walls diet and uh, reducing inflammation, and so I would just take anything I could get my hands on that I felt like may reduce this inflammation in my body, and I would throw it in a blender. It was nasty. I would drink it down, <laughs> I was just trying to to solve the problem on my own because basically medical doctors were like, well, there's nothing you can do. You can take this antidepressant for some sleep to help your sleep and then get off of it, uh, which is terrible advice. Don't take uh, an antidepressant. no. You know, clinically depressed and then there's there's further arguments on that end too but when you're certainly not clinically depressed don't take an antidepressant that's just it was awful. um so i basically tried to naturally do it my own i I started meditating 40 minutes a day and uh eventually i got myself to the point where uh i looked at my mom and i said mom you know i want to go out to vegas you know to, to try this thing it was very tough because they wanted me to be a lawyer and sports betting has this very uh what would you say negative stigma around it um especially in a traditional household and family situation like i grew up in
0: Uh, yeah
1: but she you know the best mom in the world i mean i'm only here because of her and uh she she went with me i was still a little dizzy helped me get set up in vegas and then uh you know, I, I started my journey there and the model was extremely successful that year. I mean, that was probably the best year I've ever had, which to me is just all about kind of my faith, because I told you I can't go into all the things that kind of affected me with my faith. But that time of recovering, uh, fighting constantly for a year and, you know, being a, you know, being afraid that like, hey, I may not wake up tomorrow or I may wake up blind. You know, I'm having vision issues like going through that experience. And it definitely connected me to God. I had some experiences, which is hard to explain to people about how you kind of realize that truth.
0: It's very encouraging to hear that not only that you didn't give up the fight in your journey, but that God never gave up the fight on you as well.
1: Oh, that's right. That's how I feel. I'm only here. I really feel like, you know, God saved me. I feel I feel like there's no way it was looking so bleak. There's no way I could have possibly healed from where I was to where I am now to operating. I always will have a little bit of tension in my head always. It's just the way it is. But I'm just so blessed to be healed to this point where I can function optimally. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a life. And now I have the most wonderful life. And I was telling you that um, what really solidified me with God was meeting my wife in Vegas.
0: Nice.
1: Uh, You know, (laughs) it's to me, it's God is that love, right? It's love. Yeah. And, and yeah. Meeting someone like my wife who showed me that love. and
0: You know, the word says that he who finds a wife has found a good thing and has obtained favor with God.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, she's an Ameri- more American than anyone I know, immigrated here under the most brave circumstances. I mean, this is just someone who—and I hope everyone feels this way about their wife, who I just admire and respect more than anybody. And she taught me so much, and her love transformed me. And she really brought you, brought me close to God. And she'll even tell you, like when she first met me, like, yeah, I was, I was spiritual, but I wasn't like I am now, where I'm very have a high level conviction, and I'm very strong with my faith. And she's the reason, you know, her love and 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 her bringing me close to God and that influence she's had. Really made me who I am today, and as you, as we talked about earlier, it affected every area of my life. It's made me able to be can have conviction with things like Bitcoin that I believe in, that is going to help people around the world bring freedom. Because um, I see Bitcoin. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast with American Hoddle. We all know him; he's a character, but uh, but he was talking about this is warfare, and it is warfare
0: it is yeah monetary warfare
1: Uh, it is absolute warfare and people uh when you talk to someone we have to talk to them from an investment standpoint because that's how they get interested they're like oh well i can buy this and it's going to be worth this and i can preserve my wealth and hey that's true and that's important but to me this is absolute warfare it's freedom um it's it's like uh my, my ancestry goes a long way in american history you know my, my uh, ancestor got off the boat, and uh, it was 1776 or 1777. I'm not sure the exact date. And uh, they found out that we were fighting these redcoats, and he said, "Sign me up! These people have been uh, keep holding <laughs> us back and restraining our liberties for too long." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's the way Bitcoin is. You know, it's like I, I discovered Bitcoin, and it's like, "Sign me up!" You know, these central banks—they've been uh, restricting our liberties and holding back, uh, humanity for, for too long. It's time to, to pick up our arms, our Bitcoin and, uh, hold them till death and fight. And uh, so
0: for me, so for me as a young person with my whole life ahead of me, it's really encouraging to hear your story of getting to where you are today. And it's extremely awesome to be able to, uh, be talking with like-minded people like you, um, You know how we're connected through bitcoin because uh you know bitcoin really is going to change the world and going along with that i had a a couple more questions for you actually um bitcoin as a store of value or a medium of exchange um obviously it's not going to be a medium of exchange without being a reliable store of value first but regarding the value proposition of both of those use cases within money Which one strikes a chord with you the most and why? Bitcoin revolutionizing the way we save money against a failing centralized system or the way we spend and transact value on a global level?
1: Right. Well, well, the trick is, right, that you you don't even have the latter part without the former part. So, like, you, you have to have a store of value before you can have a reliable medium of exchange. And that's something... I guess you would say that the charlatans in this industry kind of used to try to deceive people and made a lot of money off of saying, well, you know, we can do transactions this fast or whatever. But the, the bottom line is if, if people aren't, if something's not innately valuable, as in value, as in it can store your value well and Bitcoin better than anything else, then people are not going to hold it. And if people don't hold it, they're not going to use it as a medium exchange. So the store value proposition is, is crucial. It's, um, I always recommend The Bitcoin Standard, uh, Dean's great book. Um, and it, it, the reason I love the book is it really, he is an educator. He's not trying to, to say, oh, Bitcoin's great. Let me tell you why. He's like, hey, let me teach you about money. And let me teach you the why and why we, we, we need it. Not we want it. Not, oh, Bitcoin's cool. Let's do it. No, no, we need this thing. And in order to, to show you we need it, I got to tell you why. And he goes through the monetary history and then he talks about Bitcoin. And he goes through the stages, right? You go collectible, store of value, medium of exchange, and then unit of account. Um, and so, you know, collectible, we know collectible is, store of value. You know, it has to preserve your, like you feel comfortable, like your value that you've accrued, the, the human capital you've put forth, the time you've spent with, creating a valuable service or a product. And you have to know that, you know, that that time is is your property, that that's the property of work, the time you've spent. And you that is your
0: proof of work.
1: Of course, that's right. And you have to be able to store that reliably. And you go from that to medium exchange to where, OK, everyone has these stores of value, you know, their proof of works, and and they need different types of services from other people providing value, and that's how we scale. And I'm confident that everyone can store their their contributions to society with this thing called Bitcoin, and then we so we can exchange, and you know we can scale, and then eventually when it gets uh, widely used enough, it's a unit of account. Everybody's using it. Well, we may as well price things in it because you know everybody's gonna store and and use it anyway. But of course the store of value is the most important. And another reason why is because we have to protect against theft. Uh medium exchange is not being able to just send something to some person is not going to protect you from theft. Uh, the store of value properties of Bitcoin it's it's protecting you from inflation. You know, it's set it's set schedule of 21 million, set supply, I should say the finite supply of 21 million. It protects you against that, the most insidious of all thefts, inflation, which is so insidious because people don't even realize it's happening. Um, and then uh, outright theft, if there's, you know, if your government grows to such a tyrannical extent that they're trying to, to tax you to a certain extent or for certain things that you don't agree with, um, they don't have your private keys. You have your private keys. If you have your private keys, if you're storing your your private keys properly, uh, they can't take your Bitcoin. And if you have some type of business that that uh, they frown upon because maybe it's a uh, a freedom type business that they're trying to restrict, that's important. But they want to restrict. But if you use a money like Bitcoin to transact in, they can't shut you down. WikiLeaks found that out. They had to resort to Bitcoin and a lot of other industries. You know, we've seen you. I remember you. We were talking about the gun industry as well. I was going to grab. Yep.
0: Paper, yep. We're going to get into that. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that that store of value is I mean, the thing is, is I tell people, like, if we never scale to medium exchange, which we will like, like, don't get me wrong, we will do that. But just, if we never did.
0: Just the fact ever, of just the fact of having a reliable store of value for the whole world to use is that's world changing, right? there.
1: Exactly. That's the thing. If all we ever did was have the best store of value in the world, which we already do. And the only reason it's volatile is because we're so early in the adoption phase that people have not recognized it and priced it accordingly, right? Like any asset, like sports, I, I identify a team, it's of this strength, people don't recognize it, the price is off. Same thing with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. We already have the best store of value in the world. People just don't realize it, so the price is not in alignment with its true value, right? But we already have the best store of value in the world, and- uh, it, all it ever does is just be the best store of value in the world. I mean, it's, it's already served its purpose. It's already transformed society. We can protect ourselves against, um, you know, theft through inflation, taxation. We can protect ourselves from conflict, confiscation and censorship. But another important thing that Bitcoin does, I want to make sure not to forget about this, is that it helps us as a society at, and as as human beings, we move forward. Right now, we can't move forward because the financial system we're in, the incentives are all out of whack, and this this lending and this Keynesian system, it creates malinvestment.
0: Debt keeps uh, growing larger. Bills keep becoming more expensive. Life keeps becoming harder.
1: Right, and it's like if you're a, an institution... Uh, there's no consequence to your actions, right? So it's like, I'm going to liken it to sports betting because I deal with it every day. It's like, you know, you can think of whatever you want about sports betting, but if I take a position on a team and I'm wrong, I have a consequence. I lose my money. And if I don't learn from that, I'm going to go broke. So I better learn from my consequences. I'm going to feel the hit. Whereas we saw in 2007 and, and now, because nothing's changed, a bank uh, makes irresponsible lending decisions, they invest in things that aren't don't really warrant an investment. And there's not a consequence because they'll just get bailed out.
0: They'll get a bailout from Big Brother.
1: Right. And, and who's Big Brother? It's your money. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> you are bailing them out, right? <laughs> so enforcing the consequences, no, 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 no. We're going to have a sound money supply. You're free to make whatever decisions you choose. But if you make those decisions with Bitcoin – you have a consequence. You lost your Bitcoin, Mm. you know, and and you don't get to get bailed out by our Bitcoin.
0: Puts the responsibility into your own hands.
1: Exactly. And that's that consequence and incentives are just so important. That's what's going to enable us to finally move forward. Right now we're stuck. You can see it in entertainment. Uh, My wife is in entertainment and she, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. You can see the art, the modern art, and even talks about it in his book too, is that modern art stinks, man, and it's just pushing these terrible values, uh, terrible morals. It's trying to get people to spend money on things that they don't need, and they have to work their little butts off to obtain all these things that they don't need, and they wonder why they're miserable, and they wonder why everything around them and the quality of art and products... They're not any good, and why people are treated poorly in business, you know, and in the corporate setting, people are abused and and they're and they're mistreated because they value creation. True value creation is not valued anymore, you know, and that's what Bitcoin does. It brings the consequences, the incentives back.
0: Um, Come out of this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Unplug from the matrix.
1: That's right. That's what it is, man. We're all, uh, we're all the neos. We're waking up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. First of all, man, I want to say I appreciate you. You know me. Uh, me and you definitely have a lot in common. I felt like I've made a new friend already, man. I appreciate you.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Um, you're a freedom zealot, an American. You, you love the Constitution. Uh, I really love to hear your economic forecast from you regarding the American economy, the elections you know, we got the next two Bitcoin halving cycles coming up. Uh, What this means for the American people. And uh, as we start to see, you know, different countries around the world, we start to see people revolting, people protesting. Uh, We start to see a mass awakening of people uh, just starting to realize the corruption around them. What are the things you see, man, from your perspective?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Like Bitcoin is the, the red pill, so to speak. I mean, it People are waking up all around the world, and then if they get a hold of Bitcoin, oh my gosh, their their heads. I've seen it. Like you see people, their their brains become a sponge. They transform in months, and, and Bitcoin is that red pill that's just going to spread. But in terms of the our economic situation, right? Well, nothing's changed from two thousand seven, except mm. that it's just gotten worse. You know, we have we have an increased debt bubble. We still have the same malinvestment and irresponsible lending that that we had then. And there seems to be no political motivation or incentive to stop it because everybody just wants to you know, of course, governments just want more power and, and they can use the current financial system to, to keep power over people with, you know, control over the monetary system. Or, you know, central banking is the the biggest puppet master on top of all these political regimes but in terms of economically well you know it's really interesting i mean it's definitely not looking good but at (laughs) least you have a life raft you know um i definitely i hesitate to make any forecasts because i tell you you know way back uh before bitcoin i was screaming we have a problem (laughs) you know yeah yeah then we did have a problem and then they just fixed it quote unquote, they didn't fix it, of course, by plugging bubble gum into dam and making the problem even worse, but basically delaying the pain, which was just going to make the pain even, even more so. But um, so nothing's changed from that. I still have a very grim outlook on, I mean, the current financial system is dead. It's just how long can they basically keep it alive?
0: I don't believe that Bitcoin needs anything else to be great, you know, just like we were talking about, just just a reliable form of savings that the whole world can use. That's that's already world changing. But I do think we're going to see some crazy things in the world over the next couple of years. And I do believe that some of those things are going to play a factor in uh, people adopting Bitcoin in their lives.
1: Oh, I, oh, I agree with you. We're, we're going to have severe financial uh, strife around the world uh, in banking and in government and In all types of things, and you're seeing that already. You know what? I, In Iran, they 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 put they burned down a bank. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, just buy Bitcoin. (laughs)
0: Like it's more
1: effective and it's less dangerous. You know?
0: I woke up and logged into Twitter, and I seen that they were burning the Bank of Iran down. I said, okay, well.
1: And, of course, we had to do better work over there with Internet access because, of course, the government takes down the Internet. And that's it's you can't be but so hard on them because it's like, well, they don't have Internet access. And it's tough. And and I think all of us together is this is. Well, I
0: think Internet access and, you know, access to Bitcoin, that kind of adoption is uh, it's it's hand in hand. It's going to keep growing.
1: That's right. And that innovation is going to continue. You know, whether, uh, you know, things like the mesh networks and all these type of things that I'm. Definitely not a technical expert on, but that I know brilliant people are and working on it. We're going to find solutions to these these issues and help uh, these freedom things like the internet and Bitcoin. You know, you know, internet really uh, decentralized information. You know, before the internet, you had very controlled um, dissemination of information. The internet just blew a hole through that, and Bitcoin did that with money. Right, we had centralized. dissemination or control of money. And then Bitcoin blew a hole through that. You know, we're decentralizing that. And I'm confident that we have just so many brilliant people and free-minded people all throughout the world that we're going to continue to innovate and find ways to protect these freedom mechanisms. Um, And it's important, not just in America, as you're asking about America and the Constitution. To me, America, like that's an idea you know, America is an idea. It's a powerful idea. It's um, that Bitcoin really is America on the blockchain, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, forcing the American ideal that those natural rights and protection of, which all goes back to property rights and Mm. what Bitcoin protects those property rights. And that's forcing that throughout the world. So anyone no matter what type of situation or regime you are all around the world, you can pick up those arms, that Bitcoin, and you can fight for your freedom.
0: I love uh, it, dude. I love it. <laughs>
1: that was awesome. America with Bitcoin, man. a <laughs> thing. You know. So
0: with the elections coming up, let's just say, you know, after, um, let's just say by 2025, you um, how prevalent do you see Bitcoin being in society? Let's say American society um, and international society. Do you see? Do you really see a massive adoption over the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I think by 2025 we will. Um, it's just inevitable. It's, um, I mean, Bitcoin factually is the hardest money in the world, and unlike in previous times where it was kind of more easier, it was easier to. Um, to kind of hide the accounting of a hard asset like Bitcoin. Now it's out in the open, right? And you can't hide the accounting. It's there. We can see it. Um, so I, I do see people are just going to find this thing called Bitcoin. And they're going to, as they use it, because it's, it's one thing to um, to want to use Bitcoin and to, to think it's cool. But it's another thing to be like, no, Bitcoin solves this. Like it 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 I'm having hyperinflation in my country and I need Bitcoin. Right. You find that out real quick. Um, or, well, that's,
0: well, that's where that's where some of your whys and your conviction and the reason you're doing things start to come into play and why Bitcoin is important to you and the people around you.
1: Right. And even in the United States where we have the most privileged financial position, like you're still losing two percent of your wealth if you store it in cash, bro. You know, that's, like, that's very true. Like That's a losing bet. It's it is a for sure losing bet, worst bet in the world. Why would you make that bet?
0: Might right? as well just stack sats.
1: And then so you're forced to speculate, and a lot of people can't do that, even though the the cash app is uh, is helping bring access to the the stock market to more people, which is wonderful. But still, you're you're forced to kind of take these high risk gambles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In these already inflated assets. Things are becoming
0: more expensive. Bills are getting more expensive. Life gets a little bit harder.
1: Right. The Cantillon effect is is happening. You know, we're having this widened wealth gap and the the only really safe bet for you is Bitcoin. And people are going to realize that all you do is just hold it. You know, You, you go, you store it properly, hold your own private keys and just hold it. You don't have to speculate. You don't have to hire anybody to manage it you know just hold it. it and and as people wake up to its protection mechanisms against inflation, confiscation and censorship, that's the most valuable use case in the world. I mean nothing else is going to protect you like bitcoin from these things. And these other things are just going to get more and more aggressive as these institutions, you know, run into problems. And they're just going to escalate those weapons against us, those weapons of inflation, censorship.
0: You know, hodling seems like an easy task when you talk about it, but sometimes it's the hardest thing for people to understand.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think the, the 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 concept, right, is simple. The implementation is incredibly difficult, right? It, and, and that's the same way I approach sports betting is – you know, it, well, it, it's very difficult to find people who win, okay, and, and to build a model that wins, right? But once you do, the, the concept is simple. Same thing with Bitcoin. That's why I'm drawing this comparison it, is that once you do find something crazy valuable like Bitcoin, right, it's simple. Hold it, hold it as securely as possible, right? Hold your own private keys, um, just hold it. But the thing is, is that the discipline it takes is so hard. It's so hard because especially now where it's we're in the early stages of the most disruptive asset in human history. I mean, think about that. Right. I mean, if you're holding any type of disruptive asset, it's going to be crazy volatile. You know, you, you look at a company like Amazon. Look at that chart. Right. But I mean, like we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about disrupting central banking. That type of asset, the volatility, of course, is going to be off the charts, and it has been, right?
0: It's now, a, so so for me and you as Christians, it's a very similar concept of believing in the gospel in a society and in a world that very much doesn't like that message.
1: Right. That's right. We we live in a world where um, it's, it's all uh, high time preference, spin, spin, spin. I was in uh, Miami on vacation, and I was talking to a guy uh, and he was like, yeah, he's like, it's, it's crazy, man. Like some people here, they'll they'll basically, they'll rent and live in a closet just so they can afford to rent their Lamborghini so they look good. And that's how it is right now. You know, everybody, they, they just want to look good. They don't want to actually be good. They want to look good or they want to be accepted or they want to, I don't know, man. It, the values are all out of whack. It, it's, well,
0: Bitcoin is here to make that shift in society.
1: Hey bro, Bitcoin fixes this. (laughs) I mean it does. Get annoyed by it, but it's true. Like it's hard to find something. I mean, yeah, there's some absolute things Bitcoin can't fix, like loss of a loved one, whatever. You know, and but but besides that and those type of things, Bitcoin probably fixes it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Um, I agree. Yeah. Awesome, man. So I wanted to get to talk to you a little bit about firearms because I know that's something you're you're passionate about. I got a couple questions for you, but okay. um I would just like to know how you got into firearms like like what what got you pumped up about it? What got you involved in enjoying that hobby, that lifestyle, those beliefs owning a firearm?
1: Gotcha. Okay, so that's multi-tiered. So, um, I first I shot my first gun as a 22 it was an old .22 uh, with my grandfather, and he taught me how to shoot, and uh, we would uh, take that 22 out. We started off with uh, empty Pepsi cans and then went to squirrel hunting and uh, things like that, and uh, and then my uncle um, took me deer hunting, and, um, and then I went hunting with friends and It's just, it's kind of, I grew up in it, so I'm very comfortable with firearms. Um, You kind of fear what you don't understand, right, or that you're unfamiliar with. I'm very comfortable with it, and it's been part of my life. Um, But, you know, I wasn't as, oh, man, as, I don't know, I wouldn't wouldn't say fanatical, but uh, I wasn't, I didn't have the conviction I do in firearms until I went to law school and dove into the Constitution and realize why it's so important. You know, why the Second Amendment is so important. Um, people don't realize they they get caught up with, you know, Britain, England, um, they, they lost their firearm rights because they basically kept conceding things, which is what we're doing now. Is they kept conceding incorrect things about this natural right to your self-defense. They... Um, you know, they said, oh, well, it's for hunting. And, and people kind of were like, oh, well, it's for hunting. So I can keep my hunting rifle, whatever.
0: Slowly then, chipping away at right, it.
1: Right. And eventually, said, well, what do you need that for for hunting? Right. So like, You don't need that for hunting, though. No. So you said that it's for hunting and you don't need that for hunting. Right. So we can take this away, too. And it chipped away. And that's how it is. So it's very important to to understand the Second Amendment. And, and gosh, the Second Amendment, we could go days and days over the Second Amendment. So I won't get too in into detail on the Second Amendment as I have a tendency to because it's a passion of mine. But I will say the Second Amendment, it means what it says. Okay, it confers an individual right. It confers the – it doesn't – okay, it doesn't confer. I'm saying that incorrectly. It recognizes – that's an important distinction. It recognizes the individual right to bear arms. Right. It it doesn't recognize the militia's right. It recognizes every individual's right in order to preserve a militia in society. That militia being a check on centralized force, that being the government military force. So the militia being basically the aggregate of all individuals in our society. Every competent adult has that natural right to bear arms. And the the right to bear arms is intended by our founding fathers in the Constitution for you to have the same arm that your oppressor may have, you know. So your government, which could turn oppressive, as we've seen, I mean, hundreds of millions of deaths attest to this important check, is you have to have at the minimum— the same commonly used arm of what could be your adversary, a government um, infantryman, right? And, and if you look at what uh, our government infantrymen are, are having, they they have an automatic rifle, which is what the Second Amendment protects. Now, we've conceded that because a lot of people say, well, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but to a lesser extent as our, our brothers and sisters over in England. Went, well, you know, we don't really need an automatic weapon to to protect ourselves. And, and most, we already went we have,
0: too far with the automatic thing.
1: We went we went way too far. But but the thing is, is how they how they see it. You know, I'm just rationalizing what they did was they just said, uh, well, in most battlefield conde- context, semi-automatics more effective. So okay, whatever you can have the automatic, which was a mistake and it was bad. And, and that's why right now we're, we're at the line, because in order to, for a militia to be effective, i.e. the aggregate of free individuals in our society, to provide that check against a potential government tyranny. And, you know, this is not a pretend threat. I mean, it is literally the most violent and deathly force on the planet by human beings. I and mean, we I mean, what they say, hundreds of millions will attest of deaths mm. around the world. It is the most important check we have, and we already conceded automatic weapons, which, you know, some battlefield contexts automatic weapons are more effective. Uh, but at the bare minimum, you cannot give up semi-automatic rifles. Oh God, uh, that, no! Yeah, if you do that, there's, there's, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll have the numbers, uh, but it's very hard to have an effective fighting force, which is what a militia is. Against an p- oppressive regime if you can't match them at least with uh, a, a semi-automatic uh, rifle. It's just not really um, you, you're really stacking the deck against your, here <laughs> against yourself then. So to me, that's the line. Like, it's just it cannot be crossed and you know I don't know about I can't speak for other people, even though I do know a lot of people who feel the same way as I do. That's the line. Like I don't care what law you pass, you can't have. My semi-automatic rifle, my AR-15, you can't have it. You can't have the 30-round magazines. You can't have the ammunition with it. Um, you just can't have it. I don't care what thing you write on on paper. You can't have it, right? And, and it's it's my defensive mechanism, right? Uh, we all want to live a peaceful society, and that's we hope that that's a strong enough deterrent, right, to prevent further aggression. And, and we hope that that's all it ever has to be is just a deterrent right but for in order for it to be a valid deterrent you have to have the capability that if god forbid we had some terrible situation that the the free men and women of this country have to have the capability of resisting that type of violent oppressive force
0: you have uh, to use your rights in the constitution
1: right and that's what the second amendment is it's and again yeah. i just want i want to emphasize it's a recognition of that inalienable right that you have by just the fact that you're a human being. You know, those are your natural rights. It didn't come from government. They're not privileges. Those are your natural rights. And the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights is just, they are just recognizing those rights as a type of peaceful contract between us, the people, and our government, which is supposed to serve us. It's like them saying, okay, we recognize these rights that you have, and we're not going to trample upon them. That's what the Bill of Rights is. It's not how people see it now as in, hey, we're going to let you have these. No, no, no. These are natural rights we have by by the fact that we're human beings. and that if you transgress upon these rights frequently enough, then you know we have uh, we have the right to to take them back. And, so yeah.
0: I, so I can see very much how your love for firearms and your love for the Constitution and the Second Amendment goes hand in hand. With your love for Bitcoin and sound money and freedom and uh, personal sovereignty and family and everything, you know, I can see how it all ties in together for you. And it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Like Bitcoin, it protects our, our store of value, protects it from theft. Thou shall not steal, you know, <laughs> protects people from stealing from us. But the thing is, is, well, what protects my Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's my firearm because, hey, look, you can, you can store your Bitcoin, but someone can come to you with a gun to your head and say, well, you better give me your Bitcoin, right? And you better be able to defend yourself. Force force will always be out there. Um, and unfortunately, uh, aggressively violent people will centralize to, to try to forcibly take something from you, um, which is why we need the, the militia. It, it is that, that group of people That can protect against that centralized threat of force, you know, so it definitely goes in hand in hand. Bitcoin protects our our store of value, what we've worked for um, that shouldn't be taken from us without our permission. And then our firearms protect that protection mechanism of Bitcoin from people uh, physically forcefully taking that value from us. So, yeah, it goes hand in hand, brother.
0: I really hope I see more Bitcoiners in the future get into firearm culture. I know some Bitcoiners in certain countries can't participate in those things, like, you know, just just the awareness and the education. And you know, if you're able to own one, there's no reason why you shouldn't.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they can't legally. I mean, plenty of people around the world do illegally, like, uh, which you know, laws. There's nothing. Uh, there's so there's more unjust laws than just laws out there. So when I say uh, of or illegally, to me, illegal does not have a negative connotation. I mean, there's it. It really it makes me so upset about how many nonviolent people we have in prison. That's, you know, that's the truth. It's so wrong that you should not be put in a cage unless you aggressively or violently tried to harm someone, you know, or harm someone to a significant extent. But And we we put so many people in a cage. And, and I say a cage because prison doesn't have, the doesn't represent the truth of the matter enough. We put too many people in cages for things that other people, a majority of people, they just don't like. But, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like, but I'm not going to put someone in a cage for it. And we've gotten so used to in society of dissociating ourselves from the violence you know it, it's it's kind of like to put it on a on a smaller scale like even like when you eat meat uh, and meat is so good for you but like people they're disconnected from the actual act of you you got to go you know we respect our our fellow creatures on on this earth but you know we we need to eat and that's the best nutrition for us and so we do have to hunt and and kill them for our sustenance and we respect that animal you know and and we we should be using up as much of that meat and that body as we can uh, but but that that is necessary that act of of killing you know is necessary for us and and it's a serious thing it's a serious decision where i have to eat or or i'm going to die so of course i have to go hunt and i respect this creature it is providing me this sustenance it's a serious thing and people for some reason don't do that with law and politics like they don't think like Oh, I'm going to create this law to force people to do this. And they don't think that what I'm doing is when I create a law, I'm saying that if someone violates this law, I'm okay with going to their house at gunpoint and saying, hey, if you don't obey, abide by this law, I'm going to put you in a cage for it. Right. Uh, Or uh, if you don't comply, I'm going to shoot you dead. And I know I'm being blunt here, but you got to be blunt because otherwise people don't get the point. And when they create these laws, they talk they talk about gun confiscations or or trying to put people in cages for their life or a plant or whatever it is. And, you know, I don't even smoke, man. I don't smoke or drink. But hey, man, if you want to, that's your deal. If you're not harming anybody, I don't care. I'm certainly not willing to go to someone's house at gunpoint and tell them, well, you have to go in a, into a cage because I don't like what you're doing or I think you're making a bad health decision. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. And that's what people are doing there. As I like to tell people, they're delegating their violence, right? Mm. Like You're talking about gun control. What you're talking about is killing millions of people who will not willingly give up their firearms. Um,
0: Gun control has never led to anything peaceful.
1: It it never has. It's only led to more violence. We know this. And, and, you know, I don't want to go off on a tailspin here, but like like the thing, I've really stopped debating guns. Because it's just like the other side, the the, uh, the the freedom restrictive side, like they don't have a leg to stand on. Like they're wrong factually. There's a negative correlation between gun ownership and violent crime rates, not just domestically, but throughout the world. Um, guns are used far more often in defense of a life than the criminally take one. I know the CDC studies six times. and and um, But the thing is, is that study doesn't even account for the fact that Most of the time when a gun is used in self-defense, it's drawn and not fired. And so that's a difficult metric to quantify. But if they try to quantify that and you get to like a gun is used 40 to 80 times more often in defense of a life, basically to prevent a life from being harmed than to harm one. And to me, that's just an enormous. I mean, not to me. I mean, factually, that is an enormous net benefit to society. It's the great equalizer. If you're a woman. You're not as strong in general. Ladies, I'm not trying to say some women aren't very strong in general. Factually, women are not as physically strong as men. It just goes down to biology. Right. And so a firearm is the great equalizer. Now you can defend yourself against anyone. Right. Right. It, It is protecting your liberty from being forcefully restricted just by someone being larger than you.
0: You have that tool there and you know what? Hopefully you never have to use it ever, but you know what? It's there every single day of your life.
1: That's the thing, right? It's that fire extinguisher. I mean, like you hope you never have to use it, but you better train with it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I drive fire practice every day and I know how to use mine and I hope I never ever have to use it. It's the most worst thing to think of is having to use it, but you need, if the time comes where Uh, You do have to use it if you face what I call an asocial threat um, versus an antisocial threat. Like, hey, look, guys, like, and we all know this, but it's just important to emphasize, like someone disagrees with you or is trying to get in a fight with you, walk away. Like, who cares? Like, I don't care. Like, you know, like you disagree with me about something. You want to fight? Hey, man, go fight with yourself. Like, I don't care. I'm talking about a situation where someone is criminally really trying to take your life and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. And it happens quick. I mean you have a couple seconds when when you are facing a threat where someone just is criminally trying to take your life or seriously you yeah. bodily harm.
0: I think the FBI statistic is uh, 95 – I think it's like 95 percent of uh, deadly encounters that happen between people. Uh, it happens in less than three seconds.
1: Right, and and you have to be prepared like you do. But the truth is though – because you, I don't want to discourage people from owning a farm. The truth is though easy, even if you don't train – just having a firearm on your person still is going to greatly increase your probability of survival. I mean, point and fire. You know, you should train. You should because you should be a responsible gun owner, and that's important. But it's still, if if you have a firearm on your person, you drastically increase your chances of survival. Uh, but we do all have, as a gun over gun gun owner, responsibility to to practice and. And to, you know, of course, be responsible like you do with anything. You drive a car. Agreed. Agreed. You you better drive your car safely. (laughs) You know, I mean, we all know the value of cars. And, of course, cars kill way more people than uh, uh, firearms. And I won't go into a spiel on that. But, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but the fact is any tool, no matter how valuable, can be used irresponsibly. So we need to encourage responsible use, of course. Um, And and honestly, uh, being around the gun community, I mean, I don't. It's, I'm not around many communities that are as responsible as the gun community. Uh, it, it's most people are just incredibly oh,
0: responsible. very, very responsible, humble, down to earth people.
1: I mean, and if you look at the statistics, like CCW holders are basically the most law abiding citizens in society. Mm. You know? um, and uh, that's that's actually uh, different than cops, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. Who are not as law abiding as CCW holders, of yeah. course even though there are very good cops out there who I respect, but they're, and, and who live up to their oath of protecting the Constitution because they do take that oath. Um, and, and a lot of them that would not enforce um, any restriction on the Second Amendment, thank goodness. And a lot of military personnel who believe the same. But unfortunately, we have a lot of cops that are not like that and who would restrict your Second Amendment right and who do every day. And it's important to to bring exposure to a lot of those, those crimes that are committed by, uh, law enforcement and, uh, and our military too. Uh, we, we have to be accountable for our actions. You know, um, that's, it's very important that that's how you foster, um, good in society is that we have to be accountable for the mechanisms in our society that are corrupt. And, and we have to say, Hey, look, this, this institution, um, it may do a lot of good, but it's doing a lot of bad here and we need to correct it. And I feel like people on both sides, they get. Um, I don't know, they get so polarized that they're not willing to admit fault in certain areas of things. And they really need to, because um, that's how we grow and correct society as we say, hey, look, this is wrong. Like this, this politi- this police brutality, we have a problem with it. You know, I'm not saying all police are bad. I'm saying we have a problem with police brutality, and some are bad. And a lot of a lot of great policemen are completely in agreement with me on this, in agreement with us when we say, "Hey, look, there's we have a problem with police brutality, and um, and we need to keep talking about it so that we can we can tackle that issue because that that's a, that's an issue I feel like Bitcoiners are very focused on too, is the violence of the state, you know?
0: Yes, yes.
1: And, and we do need to focus on that. We do need to bring exposure to that because that's how you start to limit it, right? And, and I, of think, course,
0: I think a lot of Bitcoiners in the future are going to be some movers and shakers in society, and I think they're going to be making some positive changes.
1: Oh, I agree. You know, and, and of course, the, those are the symptoms, the, 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 the violence of the state are the symptoms. And then eventually we have to get towards the cause, which is basically – criminalizing things that are not violent and that shouldn't be criminalized and that you have to ask yourself the question. I know we're going off on a rant here, but you have to ask yourself the question of, am I willing to put someone in a cage for this? Mm. And if you're not, then it shouldn't be a law. And furthermore, if it's something that's not violent, that's not harming anyone, and you are willing to put someone into a cage for it, then you're not a good person.
0: The dilemma with that is, what to put somebody in a cage for is going to be subjective from person to person. So, what basis of truth do you have to base that on?
1: Right. So basically, we, that's what we have these natural rights for. That's our foundation of truth. Is that we certain people have certain inalienable rights that cannot be violated, um, and that entails your property rights. You know, that, that entails, of course, your property of a firearm or your right to speech or, you know, and Bitcoin is code. I mean, that's speech. Um, firearms, is property, you know. Um, so basically these rights, your, your right to, to just to pursuit of happiness, as we would say in the Declaration of Independence, uh, that cannot be trampled upon unless you are harming someone. I remember in law school, like, it it gets so complicated, but um, I always used to tell people, like, the Constitution is very simple. Like, our laws are very, very simple. It all goes down to this one principle, is that you should be allowed to do whatever you want to do unless what you want to do is going to significantly harm other people's rights to do what they want to do. That's it. It's very simple. And so we are putting people in cages for things that are not harming people. And that's wrong. And we have to correct that. Uh, it, and it, it is – you know, it's not going to be a quick process, but the world is waking up. As you said, we have a lot of social strife around the world right now.
0: I really do see some of these issues changing over time as more people start to wake up to all this corruption.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, the internet was the start. Like people don't realize – like we're still feeling the after effects of the creation of the internet right now. You know, like the internet, yeah, it was created a while back, but like we're, we still are feeling those initial aftershocks. That's the reason why Bitcoin is here. That's the reason why we're having these um, social issues around the world and people who are, gosh, you're burning down banks or, are protesting? I mean, what? It's all around the world now. You know, we have a protest in France. Nobody's talking about you. Iran burned down their bank. You know, you, Hong Kong. We have this courageous fight in Hong Kong right now. All these these things—they're the aftershock of the disseminate that the decentralization of the dissemination of information, where people can now go out and find the truth as as best as they can. And and we're in this process right now. The world is they have access to their own information and they can go out. And I'm not saying there isn't a lot of propaganda out there and there's a lot of, of course, misinformation out there. But the fact is, is that unlike before, they now have the ability to go out and search for the truth and obtain their own information. And because they can do that, it is going to radically transform the world and society. And we're, and we're seeing the first stages now. This is just the start. I mean, it is just a very, you know, I, I remember my dad was driving to the airport one day. I was coming back to Vegas, and I asked him, I said, hey, Dad, like, you know, how different is the world today than when you were my age, you know? And he was just talking, about, oh, my gosh, you know, he's going on about all the different differences. And I was just thinking, man, can you imagine when we're my dad's age, like, we like we're going to look back at this time you and I talking and all of us together in this amazing revolution called Bitcoin and we're going to look back and just be like wow like we had we knew but man we didn't know <laughs> you know like we I knew. don't even
0: think we can fathom right now what the world and what society and what changes and what everything is going to look like then exactly
1: you know? man I mean like you talk about 2025 like I think 2025 we're going to look back and be like whoa
0: like, yeah. Yeah. Even just five, six years from now, I couldn't imagine 20 or 40.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause you know, I'm a big, uh, like, yeah, of course I'm into market technicals. I, I think most TA in, uh, the Bitcoin market is just a bunch of bunk, but I will tell you the metrics I respect are the mayor multiple.
0: Mm, uh, nice. That,
1: that's really, I like, yeah, I would liken that to like sports, some sports betting metrics that I use. And, um, and the stock to flow, which, again, I have metrics like that for sports, you know, it's uh, even though it, it, it is its purpose. I wouldn't say I would say the merry multiples more. Uh, I, I guess I can make more of a comparison to some sports things. But fundamentally, uh, the stock to flow model, I, I definitely see similarities between, you know, those basic principles of what it does. And, um, of course, the, the stock to flow only applies to. The, you know, those, those hard assets that, uh, you know, like Bitcoin, you know, that. Yeah. But uh, those are the only two metrics I see of value, mayor multiple and stock to flow. Everything else is bunk. And, you know, <laughs> if
0: you're in if you're involved in Bitcoin and you're living by those two things, man, I, I'm sure you're going to do just fine.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, those are the only metrics I, I would look at besides the fundamentals. Like fundamentally, we know how valuable Bitcoin is, you know, obviously. You know, we can go through all those metrics of how the, the basics I always tell people is the protection mechanisms against inflation, uh, you know, censorship and confiscation. Th- those are the fundamentals. And then, of course, it's incredibly detailed in how it does that, you know, and that makes Bitcoin so valuable. And then if you want other metrics that can help you, yeah, mayor multiple stock to flow. It's an it's an stock to flow is an excellent metric, you know, because it, it's it is for that type of asset, that unforgeable scarce asset like Bitcoin, and it only applies to those unforgeable, scarce asset like Bitcoin. It doesn't apply to to anything else, uh, but it, it's targeting on that metric of the stock to flow because in economic terms, if something gets more valuable, people will try to produce more of it. Um, and the unique thing about Bitcoin, unlike anything else, is the more valuable it gets, the you cannot flood the market with more supply than what Can't is flood the model the yeah code. right it's set that's what makes it so unique anything else it's like okay you know let's let's get more like silver is a joke I mean I can just turn on those mining operations and just flood the market with more silver uh, gold of course is has been a very good uh, store of value which I respect because it's it's hard to to produce it's hard to create uh, a more of a flow to offset. Price increases, but you still you can more than Bitcoin, but
0: I mean, everyone has to fight over the same amount of Bitcoin.
1: Right. And, and soon Bitcoin is going to match uh, gold stock to flow. And then and what, in what? In five years, it'll surpass it. I mean, that's that's just a um, it's wild. It, it's never happened. You know? it's, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and unlike gold, where you can create uh, you can kind of hide the supply, you can't do that with Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so that's just that's huge when you talk about Bitcoin versus gold. It's gold; you can hoard it, hide the supply. You can issue a lot of titles of ownership to it. Then there is actual physical gold. But with Bitcoin, you know, like, hey, look we we have uh, we have an open accounting of our our finite hard uh, money, um, unlike gold, and and we're gonna we're gonna test your accounting every year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you're accounting, uh, if you're fudging something,
0: we're going to see who's real and who's fake.
1: That's right. And we can do that with Bitcoin, unlike gold. And, and that's what separates Bitcoin by uh, mountains over gold and, uh, of course, to other things with gold's weakness of being physical in nature and all the weaknesses of that uh, being more easily confiscated. I mean, ask someone trying to take their life savings from one country to another how easy it is to do it with gold and with Bitcoin. You know, and and uh, ask how hard it is to send um, gold versus Bitcoin to someone or to a loved one in another country, or another part of the world. Um, I mean, you know, it's 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 it just makes me laugh, you know, like uh, Peter Skiff, however you say his name. Um, you know, I used to respect him and then it just seems like he's just clung to that antiquated notion of, of gold being a store of value. And it's just it's been it's, it's been usurped by by Bitcoin. It's not even close. Um, and the, the, the fact is, is that the wealth of the world is going to be is going to gravitate towards the hardest asset. Um, that's the lesson we have from monetary history. Um, to paraphrase Saif is that you cannot protect yourself of the consequences of other people holding harder money than yours. And Bitcoin is by far the hardest money in the world, and and that includes gold. It is it is just so much more hard and sound than gold and anything else. And all the wealth of the world is going to be sucked up by that asset. I mean everything, um, because people are going to stop using other vehicles like real estate, even though real estate can be a good store of value, but. You know it's inflated, and, uh, and people are going to stop using real estate as a store of their value, and they're going to go to Bitcoin. Uh, it's easier, and it's a better preservation of your hard-earned wealth, your value that you've accrued. And the fact
0: Bitcoin so far, is the Bitcoin is the equalizer of the world's wealth.
1: That's right, and people store their their wealth too, and not just the land, but the house. And like, hey, look, houses to use the stock to flow. Uh, mechanism or metric you know houses are going to get cheaper to produce like we can see them they're starting to print houses like houses get more expensive hey look that flows that stream of flow of houses is just going to get more and more steady and that's going to drive down the cost of houses so that's a terrible way to preserve your wealth and um and then land in itself the the value of land even though land is finite for now until we eventually go into space but for now, land is finite. Uh, but uh, you know, that's, those values are pressed up because of these, these modern monetary theory mechanisms and quantitative easing and that basically incentivize people to just throw in all this printed money into assets like real estate, driving it up past its true value. Um, and that's not just with real estate. Obviously, it's more so in other assets you know, our stock markets and, and everything. And uh, eventually, brother, the bubble's going to pop. I mean, you can't keep it going, but for so long, it's just, it's not economically sound what our current financial system's doing. Um, But now you have a life raft. Bitcoin's here, no excuses. Um, You got your life raft. So that's, I mean, your savings, that's, I would want it in the hardest uh, money that protects your value the most from all these weapons being used against you, like inflation, taxation, and all these type of things. And the best way to protect yourself is with Bitcoin.
0: It takes people like us to uh, go out and tell our loved ones and our friends and our families, the people we know about Bitcoin.
1: That's right. You know, and it's important to to get people to understand. It's like, hey, look, this is not a fight that you can choose to be a part of or not. You're on this planet. You're a part of the human interaction and, you know, economics and money transfer. Like money is just enabling human tra- like value transfer. You're a part of this fight. Like you have – you're going to create value. You have to store it in something. You're a part of this fight. So
0: Yeah, what's just, happening right now directly affects every part of your life.
1: Right. You're in the fight. It's just you have to choose. Like are you going to fight for freedom? Are you going to pick up your Bitcoin? You know, your arm of freedom, of monetary freedom, are you going to pick that up and fight for freedom around the globe? Or are you just going to passively be a part of uh, the tyrannical state and allow yourself your value to just be stripped away from you constantly and, uh, you know, to be stolen from you without your permission to serve ends and purposes that are against your best interests? And that's the war we have going on. And you just got to pick what side you're on, really.
0: Black bull man, I love your conviction. I love your story and I love your opinions on uh, America, the world, Bitcoin, and just everything that's going on right now, man. I think you have a great perspective. I think you have a great outlook on life. you have a strong faith and uh, it was very encouraging to spend some time with you and hear from you.
1: hey man. it was a it was a lot of fun and uh, you know, I'm just another pleb talking and uh, you know we all have. Amazing stories. There's just so many wonderful, intelligent, brilliant, strong people around. And that's the reason I got into this space, because one day I just kind of finally put my head up and realized that so many of the brilliant, principled people that I knew, they didn't just like this thing called Bitcoin. They were obsessed by it. Right. Mm. And so that's what got me into it. So I just want to tip my hat and raise my glass um, to all those Bitcoin plebs out there, uh, I love all y'all. We're fighting the good fight. It's a tough fight. Uh, we're going up against the most, uh, the powerful, most powerful freedom restricting institution in the world. But uh, freedom wins, man. It's like uh, the Spartan uh, leader said. Said, well, you know, how come y'all, y'all win these battles? You know, against uh, forces way bigger than you are. And he said, well, you know, in my experience, free men they fight better. And that's what we are. We're free men. We're the we're the free men of the world and we're fighting for freedom all together, no matter where you are, whatever corner of the globe you are, no matter what you're facing, we're all together in this. We're fighting and the arm in arm, I'm so proud to to share this this field of battle with you. I love y'all. I tip my hat, raise my glass to you. And if you took the time to listen to my humble perspective, I really appreciate it. And I, I hope to hear your perspective soon and Please reach out to me at any time. I love connecting with uh, with any any good free thinking uh, Bitcoiner.
0: You guys heard it right here. That was Black Bull. I'm super appreciative of him coming on my podcast and spending some time with them. This is Pleb Talk Podcast. Peace.